Hi, true crime family. I'm K-Mac. And I'm the answer. And this is Bad Human. Hi, true crime family, and welcome to Bad Human, a true crime podcast where we discuss those humans who reside at the bottom of the morality bell curve. And boy, do we have one today. Mm, I think we have what you call an update. We have been following this case. We received a lot of feedback of people um, that didn't find a lot of coverage podcast wise on Darrell Brooks. Mm -hmm. I said Daryl previously. Don't really give a fuck if he feels disrespected. I don't even know if I'm that's gonna keep even calling him Daryl just out of principle. You know what? Because he doesn't even think he is Daryl. So it is what it is. Just as long as you don't call him Mr. Brooks, I'm fine. We're going to get right to it today. Typically, we do some <clears throat> housekeeping. Um, thank you, though, as we always say to everyone for their support and for following. It really means a lot. I was texting, not texting, messaging today with a few people on Instagram from our page while this was going on. So I know that I wasn't the only one that was having heart palpitations and breaking out in hives listening to this idiot speak. Yeah, I saw some of the posts. I also find it funny. I listened back to all the, the three previous episodes to make sure we segued in nicely to this one. Mm -hmm. Boy, am I regretting the first episode when I was trying to be objective. We have That ship has sailed. You were just trying to be nice like the judge at first. And typically, I do try to have some sort of objectivity. That, that is gone, especially after <laughs> the bullshit that was pulled yesterday and today by Daryl edward brooks jr yeah it was gone a long time ago for you and you know what it was for me too and i don't blame either one of us i have a glass of wine to the lip like on our our post from halloween somebody complimented love that pour that's mm -hmm. the kind of pour we have today <laughs> and we needed it i'm gonna real quickly just reground do a speed round of the case up to this point it will go very quick just want to make sure we're all recalibrated. This if it's your first time listening, this welcome. This speed. Again, Daryl Edward Brooks Jr., uh, 40, was found guilty. The last time we left you, it had gone to jury. He was found guilty, shocker, <laughs> of killing six people and injuring many others when he drove his SUV into the Waukesha Christmas Parade on November 21st, 2021. He was charged with six counts of first-degree intentional homicide, Again, he had pled not guilty an additional 71 counts. He was found guilty of them all. Mm -hmm. The jury got the case, deliberated two hours, <laughs> went to bed, woke up, and the next morning said they had a verdict. Yep. Keep in mind, this is 76 counts. So they have to go through each count, vote. They probably walked in there and said, does anybody not think he's yeah. guilty? And then the rest of the time... Quicker. The rest of time had to just be spent going through the paperwork. I don't yep. think there's a lot of deliberation yeah. about our friend. Actually, our, ooh, that's why I that would say out. quote oh. unquote, not our friend about Daryl. Again, at the time of the incident, which this comes into play later, because I do think there was a severe failure of the justice system. He was out on a thousand dollar cash bail related to charges that were filed earlier in November in Milwaukee County. I won't go through his entire rap sheet if you want to hear it. It's long. You can go to episode one. Again, between 2009 
up to current, he had been arrested and charged with everything from resisting or obstructing an officer, strangulation, suffocation. I think he shot his nephew. Um, he was arrested for not registering as a sex offender because he had gotten a girl pregnant when she was 15 and he was not 15. <laughs> uh, let's see, recklessly endangering the safety of others. He had a history of using his vehicle as a weapon. He tried to run over a police officer. Again, on the incident that happened in November, he had tried to plow over his ex-girlfriend when she tried to get away from him when he oh. followed her to a hotel. Oh, you mean not current girlfriend? I don't know. <laughs> God bless anybody. I and mean, that's just page one. So the last incident that had him out on a $1,000 cash bail, which is ridiculous, and I, this is so inappropriately low, I'm just going to hit on these charges because he should never have been out of jail. Mm-hmm. Ever. He apparently had accosted this female, knocked her cell phone out of her hand. He caught up with her at a gas station, tried to run from him. When she refused to get into the car with him, he struck her in the face, then ran over her with his car. Um, basically, he told the police she was lying and she was drunk. Yeah, okay. He ended up being charged with recklessly endangering safety, bail jumping, battery, and disorderly conduct. Again, for all of those charges, those are felonies, mm-hmm. $1,000 bail. And mama got him out, right? That's right. A few of his bullshit arguments during the case, just to highlight these again, from his uh, Cliff Notes for Idiots, How to Be a Lawyer. He he claimed a, how he to was, be a lawyer for dummies. He claimed he was a sovereign citizen, which again, sovereign citizens believe that they are not under the jurisdiction of the federal government and consider themselves exempt from the U.S. law. This is not a fucking thing. While we make fun of it, it's actually pretty dangerous, though, because it makes people essentially believe that they're above the law. Although during this, he also then argued that his Sixth Amendment right was being um, discarded, which is the right to the right to confront your accuser. So he was saying, oh, yep, that's, you know. that because the plaintiff was the state of Wisconsin, the state of Wisconsin is an entity, not a person. Therefore, he can't confront an entity. Now, remember, that was his argument, but isn't it like the the people of the state of Wisconsin? Right. There was so no... there's BS right there in that. And then the last thing that he continued to argue is subject matter jurisdiction. He maintained there is no proof that this court has the authority. He said the argument that it was a military court, I think, because there was the eagle above the flag, admiral court. I don't know. Honestly, I'm. it's hard to keep track of all the just garbage coming out of his mouth. And we're not even lawyers, and we could spot all that garbage. I'm pretty sure like a 12-year-old. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Would know. Well, like I said, he, he watched one Law & Order episode. During the case, he was rude, disruptive, abrasive. He, again, had dismissed counsel two weeks before trial had started to defend himself. They found him competent. This will come in later, too. Whenever you want to defend yourself, you have to go through a battery of psychiatric exams. They all came back saying that he was competent. They did say he had a personality disorder, which we'll get to, but that he was mentally competent and did not have any mental defect or um, capacity challenges. He had, shockingly right before the case submitted a plea of insanity and then pulled it back. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I'm 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 insane, but just not insane to represent myself. I think it's because he wanted to represent himself, knew he couldn't if he had an insanity plea, because he wanted to be in the spotlight. This man is a raging narcissist. Had to be in the spotlight. Wanted to confront his victims. I, I think that there was many examples which DA Opper said in, in her closing of witness intimidation. He tried to intimidate the judge. He tried to intimidate the DA. We'll get to all that in her closing statement. But here we are today. Well, here we are yesterday. He was found guilty, as I said. <gasps> there is a lot to unpack here. No. <laughs> here we go. Sentencing starts yesterday. The judge, as always, asks for the parties to identify themselves. The DA says, you know, DA Opper, right? Everyone else. He says Daryl Brooks Jr. Oh, wait. I thought he wasn't supposed to be addressed as that. We are, I guess, done with the sovereign citizen shit. He also didn't bring up subject matter jurisdiction, which is usually his MO at mm-hmm. the beginning every of every, time. every day. Every time. I will admit I was gullible enough for one second to think that maybe, just maybe, had a seen the light. shred of humanity had found its way, like the Grinch, like, you know, when its heart, his heart grew three sizes. He was going to shut up and behave so these victims and their families have the opportunity to share their impact statements. They have been overshadowed this entire trial by his antics. This is their moment. And I mistakenly thought. No, you became gullible. Not even a gullible calf. That's just that optimist in me thinking that these people will finally get their day. Well, honey, to be fair, you do always try to look for the best in people. But. There isn't a microscope (laughs) on earth that is going to find a shred of decency. And. I may sound harsh, but if you didn't watch yesterday and today, I'll walk you through and you will probably be close to the same space (laughs) that that I'm at. Maybe not as aggressive, but close. Mm -hmm. Like I said, at first, I thought things were going to go mildly well. The plan was for the prosecution to allow their victims to have their victim impact speeches first. And I believe there were 36 total. They were able to either talk via Zoom, which is great. There was the remote opportunity. or Oh, I didn't even know that. You could do Zoom or they could be in the courtroom. They were also very careful. I applaud Court TV and, and Law and Crime, whoever streamed this, to make sure that none of the victims that were minors were shown on television. Yeah. Was... They were very careful to protect those individuals. At first, things are going well. There's, I think, two or three people that have a chance to talk. And I'm going to skim over the victim statements at the beginning because I want to close with those because I think that's where we should end this. It's not about Daryl Brooks Jr., but we should end on the victims and their words, and that should be the memory of this case. But we unfortunately have to wade through the bullshit to get there. It begins, and two or three people speak. He shockingly is being quiet, and then suddenly the DA says, we need to take a break, Your Honor something urgent it turns out and this is about 10 a.m 9 40 10 a.m it turns out that the waukesha county communication center had received a phone call in which an unknown person had threatened a mass shooting at the courthouse security was increased at the courthouse on the grounds 
um, and the hearing was recessed. They emptied the courtroom, did whatever their due diligence was. Court proceedings then resumed around 11 a.m. Judge Duro confirmed that there had been a threat, but the sheriff had assured her the building was safe. The threat is under investigation by the sheriff department and the FBI and Waukesha police. Like you texted me that and is. I was going to go to this too. And the weather was kind of shitty. So I figured eh, I can watch him have a full meltdown to be a long crime. To me, I was not surprised one bit. Well, further, uh, just, I don't know if this is connected. I'll be very curious to find out. There's two things. First, we talked about it briefly at the end of episode three, the Reddit thread. That had so right when the day of the closing, the judge had been notified that there was a thread on Reddit that said it was a juror from the case saying how Brooks hadn't received a fair trial, that the judge was biased. Oh, that that's gotta be BS. She decided to still continue with jury deliberation. And eventually, basically, like two hours later after that became public, the author of the post had written it was just a joke, they're so sorry couple things first i'm not a digital footprint expert but Mm -hmm. with reddit only the author can author an update and at that time the jury was sequestered with no cell phones no laptops i'm sure they i I don't think it was ever considered a credible situation Mm -hmm. but you have to still put it on the record yep second our uh boy daryl had been has been convicted of calling in a bomb threat to a Nevada casino in March 2007. According to the Daily Mail... this guy hasn't done? According to the Daily Mail, Brooks was hit with a misdemeanor for conspiring to disturb the peace when he made a call to the Nugget Casino Resort in Sparks, Nevada, saying that there was a bomb. Oh, a nugget, not even the golden nugget. I get that's a bomb threat, and what they're saying was a mass shooting, which is absolutely horrible and disgusting for anybody, especially having just closed the Parkland shooter trial, mm-hmm. which that's a whole different story. Regardless, I just, the correlation, I also read somewhere that his dad has a history of calling in bomb threats. And oh, I just find it, it hard to believe. family. And what's, if you watch the footage that when everyone starts to get up to move around, he's doing this like cartoon character, like, Hey, what's going on? What? Like he didn't know. <laughs> I think he had something to do with it. Back to the people who are speaking. Again, I'm not going to go into detail right now. We will finish with that. I will just highlight that the strength of these victims is unbelievable. The vulnerability, the honesty, the transparency for them to come forward and share things that are so emotional was very inspiring. It also was very eye-opening to me. As someone who has been, I think, fairly close to this case, I didn't realize until hearing the victims give their stories how terrible that this event actually was and the level of impact that it has had on them. Yeah, I mean, they're giving their firsthand what happened, what they had to go Watching their loved ones on the hood of a vehicle Mm -hmm. getting thrown over, children just getting plowed down, shoes in the road, people were knocked out. Like, And it's not just the day of. Parents spoke about... Their children being on ventilators. One mom shared that her daughter has had 75 surgeries on her throat because of just complications of being on a ventilator. It just. Uh, the the one that I heard was uh, where she said that like she it was tough for her to leave her daughter because her daughter now has such anxiety and separation issues. So like 
this wasn't a one-time thing. This is for going to last a whole lifetime for Absolutely. some of these victims. That is the absolute worst part of all. Of, I mean, everywhere you look, it's terrible. This and this guy deserves gives whatever. Zero fucks. To oh, that too. Negative. He gives negative. The resilience that these people have is nothing short to me of superhero strength. Again, we'll get to that, but I, I just. It also makes you realize anything that you're bitching about in life, recalibrate that mm. a bit <laughs> after all they've been through. It can always be worse. Daryl's still in the courtroom up until this point. We have not made our track across the hall to the adjacent courtroom. I guess that wouldn't be across the hall if it's adjacent. You get my point. Until we get to this gentleman, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. He gave a, a wonderful talk about um, someone in his family who had been one of the six victims who had been deceased. And as soon as, as, soon as he's done, Daryl speaks up and says, I want to file a complaint with that gentleman's speech. <laughs> and Judge Duro basically says, these are victim impact speeches. You can't really like object. Yeah. You know, what, what possibly Mr. Brooks could you object to? This dickhead says isn't that the guy that you're friends with his dad and we had talked about this briefly i think in episode one the judge is friends with someone who had someone killed in the parades dad like it's you know it's they're not direct yeah like the six degrees of kevin bacon which in a city especially the i mean appleton like i mean the odds of that potentially happening oh yeah and she was also the second judge the first judge They'd asked to have removed his lawyers had asked to have removed. She was the second judge brought onto the case. And before he stupidly dismissed his legal counsel, they had no issue with her. He starts talking over her. She says, Mr. Brooks will take this up after I'm not going to do this right now. This is the victim's day. And someone in the back of the courtroom yells, shut up, you piece of shit and let her speak. <laughs> Good. He has to be removed from the courtroom, unfortunately, the gentleman that said that, because you do have to keep yep. decorum. Yeah. Yeah. Judge uh, Duro, though, very respectfully allows that individual to come back in. Her exact words were, if I give Daryl Brooks chances to come back into the courtroom, I can certainly give that individual a chance to come back in. Well, because there was uh, what one of the other days, too, wasn't before he was right at the end of the day, yeah. a guy yelled out, rotten hell, you piece of shit. Yes. And he was removed. Which I get you have to maintain decorum in the courtroom, but I don't think anybody is disagreeing with that gentleman's no. sentiment. And if Daryl can't be proper and respectful himself, why should anyone else be proper and respectful Fair. towards him? Fair. Daryl gets removed to the other courtroom. His other home. Yes, E.T. phones home and goes back to the adjacent courtroom. Another individual is allowed to give their statement. And then Daryl asks to come back in. And the judge allows it. I'm j I okay, I made the same face you just didn't cringe yeah, for a minute. Cringed. But then I put myself in those victims. They need to be able to I want to look that piece of shit in the eyes. And tell him exactly what he did. Now, granted, you, he's facing forward. You're not looking directly at him. You're behind him when you're giving your uh, victim impact speech. But statement. And this is just me. If I was in that situation and I'm kind of just making assumptions of the judge's thought process. I feel like these people have mentally and emotionally prepared themselves 
to face this individual. And it, maybe you might feel like you're getting cheated a little if he's over in the other courtroom. You don't know if he's paying attention. I can understand why she wanted to, to try to get him back into the courtroom. Another thing is that the prosecution had had the uh, victims in four groups um, because the courtroom was only so big. So they would have group one come in after they were done, they'd go to recess Then group two would come in, they'd swap out. While one group is talking, the other three are in another room watching so they can see his behavior while the other victims are speaking. And his behavior is nothing less than just absolutely disgusting. He rolls his eyes as people are speaking. He does this thing where he touches his hand to his chest, like his heart, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I feel you. Like, I yeah. Feel you. Yeah. No, you don't. He, again, is mocking them, like throwing his head back in disgust and he would clap sometimes after they were done. He would literally clap after these people spoke. Was he thinking they were coached like that other one again with giving a speech? I have no idea. Oh. He did at some point continue to read his Bible <laughs> upside down and backwards <laughs> for show his prop, which people brought that up. Hilbib? What's Hilbib? I was waiting for this. Somebody brought up his mom and they said that not only do they blame Daryl, but they blame his mother for bonding her out or bonding him out on that thousand dollar bail. And oh, you could see the anger switch flip. I'm going to be very transparent with you. If I was impacted by this in a way that I was giving a, a talk, a speech, I might go for those trigger buttons too. Oh yeah. Why not? Let, show the monster that he is this whole manipulation tactic of him trying to humanize himself the veil is going to drop. You can only put on a facade for so long. Mm -hmm. Someone brings up again, his mother blaming his mom. Someone uh, also blames, uh, worst Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee, um, the, the police department or whoever, I forget the name, but whoever basically allowed him to go out on a thousand dollar bail blaming him, whoever said it, which I get it mm -hmm. the whole time that these people are talking. And what's so sad to me is, all they want is him just to acknowledge what he did. Mm -hmm. Up to this point, he has shown no remorse, made no apology. Zero. He has terrorized victims on the stand by calling them. He called one of the mothers who all four of her children were hit in the parade. Four of her kids. She and they could have lost four of their children that day. And he called her on the stand. There was one young woman who he called and he chastised her because she claimed her injuries were only emotional. So he said, well, those aren't really injuries. Then they get through all of these just emotional and raw and just beautiful statements by all the victims. And it's time for the prosecution to um, give their suggested sentencing. Now, this isn't like closing arguments. This is just where they give their suggestion for what they think the sentencing mm -hmm. should be. And D.A. Opper, I love this woman. I have, she starts just going right for the jugular and brings up his rap sheet. Oh, yeah. Goes through line by line pretty, by line. Pretty long. And this is important because, remember, during the trial, because of the other acts ruling the jury could not be exposed to any, any information about him prior to the 21st. 
the judge, however, now that he's been found guilty, can take into account all pr like previous acts. All prior, right? so we'll, yep. we'll get to that in a little bit about what the different criteria are for the sentencing. Okay. Attorney Opper starts to go through his rap sheet. She lays into him. Hour I think it's great. <laughs> no, short. It was like, oh yeah, the rap, the rap sheet. She lays into him, calls him what he is, says that he is morally bankrupt, which I could not have described it any better. Sounds about right. Says that this was an attack, that he just plowed down these people, framed it up for what most of us believe it to be. And he tries to object, saying that he feels like he's being piled on and ganged up on. And it's not fair for her to be saying all these things about him. Well, that's not and fair. attorney opera goes, sit down and shut up, Mr. Uh, yep. <laughs> he asked to be uh, moved to the other courtroom because he doesn't want to sit there. His exact words, I'm not going to sit here and be disrespected. N no, you're going to be. You disrespected way too many people. And the judge says, you don't get to request to go to the other. It's not yeah, like a vacation, right. <laughs> like a resort. I'm sorry, this room, I'd like to upgrade. This room isn't meeting see, our criteria. See, now we got to see the judge be, you know, a little, you got to see her be like, hey, I'm she not. She can be a little more aggressive, yes, I think, in her yes, delivery. exactly. Yeah. She's like, I'm not here to make sure it's not a mistrial and or anything Opper, anymore. You know how long I'm going to be an to asshole now to you. you know That's how, what it was. You know how long Opper's Opera's wanted to tell him probably just to shut the fuck up. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> she she obviously couldn't because, well, they both knew the game he was trying well, to play. They had known from the very beginning this was about his appeal. Mm-hmm. And it, it gets at the end to this because this becomes extremely evident. And this is when I just any small part of me that was hoping because I will admit it during even his closing and when he is allowed at the end of this to speak on behalf of himself, I was holding out maybe because, you know, me, I'm an, yep. I lead with empathy, yep. optimism that maybe he would just give these survivors. Just and maybe what I also realized, though is that a lot of the victims are going to be just fine without his apology. Mm -hmm. A lot of them said that they wanted his, that his remorse. He, they wanted him to be remorseful. A lot of them said they also have realized they're not going to get it and they are going to be okay without that and good for them. I also realized when I was watching the video or the, the stream yesterday, I've been wondering who the gentleman is that's sitting. If you're looking at the screen, right in the courtroom from the judge, to the right of the DA's table. It's just this bigger kind of buff guy in a suit. And I thought for a while that maybe he was like an assistant to them. Yeah. As Daryl started to get worked up and you could see as DA Opper was talking, he started to like squeeze his fist and roll his eyes and like clapping his hands. Like, Oh, you better not like, you know, like really getting amped mm -hmm. up. The gentleman moved his chair just a little, so he was like direct line of sight to Daryl. I think he must be security or somebody for the DA, which that's a dangerous job. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure they have that anyways, but I just, I kind of got the idea that he wasn't a, a, paper, a paper pusher. I feel like he would put homie in a suplex and mm -hmm. like, <laughs> like zero to like 0.5. They, uh, DA Opper again asked for the maximum for everything <laughs> all the all the counts all 76 and that is the end of day one that is the end of yesterday Whew. we come to today <laughs> oh, oh. today is the day where daryl brooks gets to speak on his behalf and then if he has people he claimed at one point there would be upwards of 19 people 
on his behalf. <laughs> Divide that by six. <laughs> and that's about what showed up. Uh, Here we go today. Welcome to Daryl Brooks. He, I thought you meant like multiple personalities of them, that that no. was the three that were going to be on his because behalf. Because he doesn't have multiple personalities. He is a narcissist and has anti um, um social personality disorder for sure which we'll get to that okay. in a little bit welcome to day two welcome to daryl brooks ted talk i have to tell you i was at a loss for words most of the day again i was messaging with missy cousin missy a few of our friends on instagram that follow the bad human pod insta page and all of us were just i got a few texts that were just in all caps she asked, if, and it wasn't an accident. It's not no, like no, it's not. It's it, not like God. Left it it wasn't anything I did wrong. So stop thinking that. All right. It wasn't like Grandma Carol, where she posts like everything in all <laughs> capital letters, Times New Roman, like forty. <laughs> <laughs> like the neighbors can read her email from yep. across the street. <laughs> the judge does her due diligence and has to ask the question before we start. Is there anything the court needs to address? Whenever she asks this, it just makes my skin crawl because I'm just waiting for what he's going to say. No one really has anything. He has nothing. Oh. The judge goes through and asks, who's, who's on your behalf is speaking today? He says that there should be four people. Only three ended up showing up on the Zoom. None came into the courtroom. Oh, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't I was... either. I get it, actually, from a safety perspective. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I get it. He ended up having three people that were going to speak on his behalf, and then he was number four. Before they start, the prosecution, um, I apologize, they actually did have one matter. They wanted to let um, this little girl, oh my gosh, she was so cute. Uh, one of her grandmothers was the dancing grannies. They wanted to allow her to read her victim impact statement again because yesterday it was interrupted during Daryl Brooks. Oh, imagine that. And she felt that she didn't do a good job. So this little girl was strong enough to get up not once but twice, address the court, address Daryl Brooks, and talk about how much she misses her Grammy, who uh, was Virginia Sorensen, one of the dancing grannies that was killed. And I love one of the lines in her statement was, I just want to punch you in the face. <laughs> I, I, amen, girl. You're not the only one. The first person to speak is Don Woods, his mom. I found this interesting that during the um, prosecution's victim statements, he kept his mask on. But when mom came on the screen, he took his mask off. She says she has a written statement and a poem that she wants to share. Her written statement is 100% about mental illness. Now remember, his mother has made statements to the press written letters to the judge saying that her son is mentally ill. Granted, when he was 12, there is supposedly he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I want to be very clear. And we say this every time this topic comes up, we are both huge advocates of mental health mm -hmm. therapy. I have, a th I think therapy is fantastic. I have a therapist. Sometimes it's just good to get a third party opinion about life, self-care, this is not meant to in any way, shape, or form be disrespectful to, to mental health. What I do think is disrespectful is when it is used, and the judge says this, says this in her closing, and I think it's beautifully said, it is disrespectful when somebody uses that as an excuse and they don't have to, they don't, they don't have it. 
-hmm. You are discrediting the obstacles and the work that people who do have mental health challenges or opportunities they have to go through. I could go on forever about that. I just want to be very clear that this is not in any way, shape or form negative towards a mental illness. His mom goes on and says that mental illness is an elephant in the room. Those that suffer from it are often shunned by family and friends. They are rejected by society. They're judged on YouTube, podcast, Facebook. I don't, maybe she'll listen to bad humans. She's pissed at us. I don't know. Maybe. It strips them of their dignity. Dignity. No one cares. She, she just goes on and basically probably from like a mentalhealth.org website. Yep. Lists probably off word for word. Mental health. She says it's not their fault that they are ill. And then she quotes the Bible about looking out for each other, saying that it's our job to help those people who have mental illness. Yeah, but they also need to seek it themselves. Correct. She says that there should be accountability for their actions and that they should be punished, but should also render help in the form of treatment, therapy, medication, hospitalization, and institutions. I will say I was mildly surprised she first of all this is her son i don't have children we have a dog i mean she'll probably bite me if she heard that she's our fur baby so i can't say how it would feel to have your child accused of and do something like this my opinion is and judge duro said this in her closing that his mom it may be a defense mechanism and just easier for her to believe he's mentally ill as opposed to having to accept the reality that her son is just evil, mm -hmm. which was a really interesting statement that Judge Duro made, and I think there could be something to that. She was very well-spoken. She did show compassion and empathy for the victims. She went on saying how treatment needs to be offered in you know earlier ages, and then she said maybe there'd be less court cases if people who were mentally ill were helped earlier. Clearly we know where she's going with this, right? Mm -hmm. That, that Daryl's mentally ill, hasn't received the help he needs. It's horrible. It's, you know, a stereotype. You're judged by society and that he shouldn't be going to prison. He needs to be going to an institution or, or being hospitalized is the angle she's going for. She didn't read this poem. That was a beautiful poem. It's called the cage bird. And Daryl did get a little emotional it, was, it wasn't like the fake crying from when he, he did his tried. closing argument. Yep. But there still were no tears. <laughs> Imagine that. It was emotion. Too bad. So where has that emotion been during this entire case? Yeah. And when you had 36 people the day before telling you how you have royally fucked up their lives, their emotions, their ability to trust, their holidays. I mean, listening to some of these people talk about who lost their mom she was 17, one of the girls, when she lost her mom. And then her 18th birthday was like two months later. Yeah. How do you celebrate that? And then prom, and her mom wasn't there for prom. It's just none of that evokes emotion from you, but your mom reading a poem does. She says that she'll continue to pray for the victims. Quite frankly, I don't really care. I don't think they really, those are prayers they're probably all set with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, we don't need your prayers. Here's the thing about the mental health comments, and we'll get to this, and I talked about it a little bit, because this is going to be a continuous theme between all of his um, people speaking on his behalf. One, he should have pled insanity. We talked about that earlier, but mm -hmm. he did, and then he took it back. 
Again, two, he was evaluated multiple times um, and found competent to stand trial. And there were plenty of opportunities that have been noted during his tenure of criminality <laughs> where he was offered the opportunity for help instead of jail time. And he didn't take it. Did exactly. Oh. His mom is done speaking right, wrong, or indifferent. That is her son. So I'm not going to really yep. pass judgment yeah. or an opinion on that. Next is Mary Edwards, who is his grandmother. She shows up, and the first thing she says, and the whole oh, this gave me cringe. She says, I am Dr. Mary Edwards, not the wicked grandmother of the West, but the grandmother of Daryl Brooks. I'm like, oh no, lady. <laughs> what is she trying to get a new Instagram handle or what? She does first offer her apologies to those who have been hurt. I'm like, okay, all right. She says that the she her exact words were. I offer my sincere apologies to those who have been badly hurt by this tragedy that was caused by my grandson. At least someone's taking accountability yeah. in the Brooks household. So at least grandma Mary is saying, yeah, Daryl, you did this. Mm -hmm. She then goes on to say that she hopes that he apologizes to them and asks them and God for forgiveness. At this point, I'm still kind of on, I'm, I'm going to be coming a little bit more on like team Grammy here. I'm like, okay, oh, yeah. you called him out and said that he did this. You said he should apologize and ask God for forgiveness. And then. Oh, no, not Grammy. She says that she hopes that people will eventually forgive him because unforgiveness is a terrible disease. And this has been sad and hard for everybody because Daryl's mother has lost a son. She's lost a grandson. Daryl's children have lost a father. And Daryl has lost his freedom and voice. First of all, he's still alive. Yeah. So Daryl's mom can still call him, still write him, still visit him, still visit him. Same with Grandma Mary. Same with the same kids. With his kids. And yeah, he's lost his freedom because he is a murderer. Because he did something to take that away. She says that she prays that he is treated for his illness and sent to a facility that manages these concerns. Nope. And this is when I was done. She then goes into her own biography, which I understand. It looks like narcissism kind of runs in the family. Oh, sounds about right. Says she's an ordained minister for the last 40 years. And after this incident, she now has a new calling and has become a mental health coach. She goes on to say how great she is doing, helping people. It's exhausting, but this is her calling. Did she put her card up then on the Zoom so people can That there is a her? church in Detroit that is now starting some sort of special outreach mental health program that she's going to support and advocate for, which great. Great. But do that before your grandson kills six people and terrorizes a city. I'm glad that you're doing that, but remember, he had offers on the table to seek this. Even if he didn't, though, my point is that there shouldn't have to be an instant. Like when people are doing things just to save face, there's no authenticity here. Mm -hmm. I hope that Grandma Mary's work does do good. I hope this yeah, is really a absolutely. thing. But this is, it's, this is not the appropriate time to bring this up. When you have these victims sitting there, no one... <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't put a collection plate. Can you imagine? I, I, and now, if you don't mind, at this time, there's a collection plate going around the courtroom. Yeah, if you could I just the, donate. I, I sent it to the bailiff a week ago, so that way he could pass it around. I mean, Jesus. No coupons, please. She Unless it's Kohl's cash. Can't be expired. <laughs> too soon. Today's not the day for a Kohl's cash joke. This is too serious. 
She closes by going on to share some facts about mental health that I, I think her and Don probably just split down the middle from mentalhealth.org or .gov. You read the first paragraph, I'll read the second. Again, the message I'm not really a fan of, but you know what? Everyone has the right to have people speak on their behalf. The last person that spoke was a girl named Michelle Alworth, who is a childhood friend that they had met 17 years ago. This one, this is the first time in the courtroom I've seen him actually try to cry and cry. <laughs> oh, wow. There were tears when she was speaking. Oh. She says that he had shared with her multiple times in jail calls how remorseful he actually is. She says he's just a very private person when it comes to sharing emotions. What emotions? Because yeah. anger, we had yeah, no issue sharing in public. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe the nice emotions... I don't know, but he doesn't like showing happy. Yeah. The, the anger and the aggression emotion They're loud and proud. And well. She tries to humanize Daryl to say he was there to help her. She does. She shared suffer um, from cerebral palsy and said that she had seizures, seizures ugh, due to that condition that he would take care of her. He would call nine one one. He lived with her for a bit to make sure she was okay. She said that he had never shown any signs of what happened on the 21st. Well, I find she ever in a car with him? I have a hard time justifying what she's saying compared to like everything else we know about him, not just from what he did on the 21st, but like the 20 years before mm -hmm. that. She says that he blacked out during a manic episode when he plowed through the parade and doesn't remember anything and that he needs mental health um, facility support. However, there's a lot of contradictory information about his claim to black blacking out, which we'll get to when Judge Duro gives her um, closing. And now we get to the main event. Mm, boy. Daryl Brooks Jr. He first asks if he can stand up, which the judge is like, whatever. <laughs> he spends the first, this, for the record, he spoke for two hours and 10 minutes. You think as an open mic night? Like, or? A, <laughs> like a filibuster. Yeah. A filibuster. It was absolutely asinine. He's on the floor of the Senate. He, st <laughs> he starts. Mr. Brooks goes to Waukesha. <laughs> Jesus. In your civics class coming to a school near you. He first starts by giving glory to God. Oh. God's he like, goes, leave me the hell out of this. He right? goes. Like God's backing out of yeah, the courtroom. Hard on the big JC. He says he believes in Jesus Christ. He then talks about how. Jesus is the son of God. He talks about the crucifixion. It's like he's trying to prove he read the Bible. He tells the story of how he rose after the third day from See? the tomb. See, I did read it in the courtroom. For I the swear record, to God. I went to Catholic high school or Catholic one through five. Where did I go to school? Diego de Costa. I went to Catholic school for a few years. It was a while ago. And I can tell that there are, I can tell you there are a lot of people that know the Bible and they are raging assholes. So just because you taught yourself in your cell, you know, Philippians 4, 12, <laughs> and you know what Easter is all about, doesn't make you a hero. I don't know. There's a bunny. And we get to, we get to hide eggs. I don't get to eat meat for 40 days. Mm, whatever. It, well, just Fridays. I think fair. So he's just going on about how he knows like him and like Jesus rule thick and they just, they know he knows everything about him. He tries to do the fake emotion. He does get a little emotional, but to me, I think he's getting emotional because he like the clock is winding down. Was he like putting his hand in the water and 
flashing it on his face so he has tears his holy water he's like this is holy water as it burns his skin off when it's when it hits him right to the bone he then says he wants to clear up a few things (laughs) (laughs) first he references the comment he made in his closing when he said that his conscience is clear which he did say this during the closing argument he said that he thought about it last night and was really trying to understand where the victims were coming from because some of them didn't bring that up in their, their victim impact statements. Hey, congratulations. Your conscience is clear. You've sentenced us to a life of healing. He says that he doesn't want that comment to be twisted or taken out of context. That comment was made because he'd made the decision. And this is, I think when I, I almost turned off the TV, but I'm like, I got to see this through now. You got to, you got to continue to watch. Because guess what? He has rededicated his life to Christ. He was raised in the church. He lost his way, but he's always been a God-fearing man. We see this all the time when people get sent to prison, that they are a born-again Christian. Mm -hmm. He says that the reason that he said that is because he has repented. It doesn't mean that he does not have remorse. It means that he has asked God for forgiveness towards the end of his diatribe, whatever this thing is that he did for two hours. He says, and I know where I'm going. Yeah, God has forgiven me. I know where I'm going. I, I'm surprised that nobody yelled out in the courtroom. The restraint that these families and victims have had mm-hmm. to not yell out. And I saw this too. Um, I watched almost every day of the Parkland shooter trial. And a lot of the parents and the victims' families, when they got to give their victim impact statements, said, it is so hard because they're basically muzzled. They have to sit there. They can't react. They can't cry. They can't yell out. They have to be very careful in what they say when they're on the stand because they're trying to make sure that there's no mistrial. This, the restraint that these people had to show is, is commendable to me. I don't know how they did it. He goes into how he's now found Jesus again. He's going to make WWJD bracelets. You know, damn well, WWDB, you... what would Daryl, DVD, oh my God. what would Daryl Brooks do? <laughs> oh my God. You know, JC, and then do the opposite of that. JC's like, I don't know what the hell this guy's talking oh about. My God. He has not found me. Jesus probably took today off. He's like this it's, is the first day in like 5,000 years. He's like, I need, I need a day off God. It's, I guess <laughs> it's actually Satan wearing long hair. It's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, he found Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is like, I'm going to have to use a PTO day. I <laughs> can't do it today. I don't have it in me. He's outside smoking a cigarette. I can't handle what's going on in there right now. (laughs) He says that he has been trying to wrap his head around the situation and it's been extremely hard. And this is when you see what's happening. He is going down the path that he has done the entire trial where he is the victim. Well, he clearly was, honey. He is not responsible. It's everybody else's fault. The accelerator was stuck. Use the brakes. He referenced... (laughs) The one victim made, well, and interestingly enough, during one of the victim impact statements, and I didn't know this till they said it, when he was on the parade route, the gentleman was standing at the corner where he turned to go right down the other road. And the gentleman said he slowed down, he braked to turn the corner. So the brakes work. So there's that argument. (sighs) Well, it it was never that the brakes didn't. He said the accelerator was malfunctioning, but... That doesn't stop the brakes from not working or the parking brake or throwing in a neutral or throwing it in yeah. park. He says that he knows who God is and that he does. And that Daryl, 
doesn't have any words of anger or shots to throw back. So yesterday when all the victims made their statements, he's just going to take that, you know, standing up and he's not going to fire back any words of anger. Who do you have the right to be angry at? Yeah. Look in the mirror. That's who you should be angry at yourself. He says that people have the right to feel the way they do and to have said the things they said. Well, oh, well, because everybody needs Daryl Brooks validation. They need his approval. He then starts to turn around to face the victims and the judge says, no, keep facing forward. I don't know if they're ready for that yet. Good for her. Yeah. Like I said, she she's done messing around now because, you know, you can't do the mistrial. So he has no right to turn around and face those people. No, absolutely no. not. If, if when and if they want to, they can approach him and have that face to face conversation. But absolutely not. I'm I'm so glad that she did that. He still has yet to apologize, but we do finally get to it. So he says that he well, first of all, he says he's sorry that this happened. That's like saying, I'm sorry that you felt that way. Not like, oh, I'm sorry I called you fat. It's like, oh, I'm sorry that that hurt your self-esteem because you took what I said derogatorily. All right. It feels like you're attacking me. No, this is not a body shaming situation. He also does this thing that I just have to say that he like licks his lips and like purses his lips when he's about to and looks up like he's about to drop some knowledge on us. And he does this throughout the whole thing. It just drives me nuts. I just have to say that. Well, he was up there for two hours and 10 minutes. He's going to do that quite a bit. He says that he is sorry, and he's probably parched. He is sorry yeah. that they could not see what is truly in his heart. Well, you acted like an asshole. The yeah. entire, so why didn't you show that then? And that they couldn't see the remorse in his heart, hear the prayers he said for them, or the tears that he has cried. He said people hear what they want to hear, and they're told what they want to be told. It is easy to accept what's on the surface and accept for what is being put out there. It's hard to pull back the veil. Basically saying that people just don't really know him. He Boy, then, this is one big pile of shit he's putting out there. He is then, everyone wearing boots in the courtroom? <laughs> he then says that people will never forgive him for what happened. Yeah. And he has to be okay with that. He, oh, he holds no ill will toward them. Oh, well, thank you know what? The city of Waukesha is going to sleep so much better tonight Mm -hmm. knowing that Daryl Brooks has no ill will toward that. He doesn't blame us. He doesn't blame us for hating him. He says, look, I can't take your pain away or replace what was lost. Just say you're sorry. (laughs) Like you could have done this literally. But again, he this is an evil he individual. He sounds like a two-year-old that's refusing to say I'm sorry. He says that while he's not yet considered a man of God, it's something that he's working on and he's learning. This is, to me, just continuing to help set up for the appeal, or we'll get to other things later. He apologizes to the judge for acting out and um, says that it wasn't personal, <laughs> that he was just frustrated. You also, and he says that he just got frustrated because he didn't understand a lot of the things that were going on. Well, then don't represent yourself. <laughs> and also, there were it a lot of personal. There no, were a lot of examples job. during the case that he knew case law. He cited yeah. cases, asked questions. He definitely understood. <laughs> I'm not going to go into a ton more because, quite frankly, it's just not worth it. He goes into his childhood about we we covered some of this in episode one, right? About not having a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, his mom working two to three jobs, the physical abuse, being on welfare, not mocking any of those things. Also, a lot of people, unfortunately, do live in poverty. 
and don't plow through an eight block parade and improve themselves and work hard to get out of that situation as well. This is then when I think the veil drops in this whole dog and pony show. You can only be a certain facade for so long Mm -hmm. and your true self is going to come out. He turns to the DA like side eye and kind oh, of right. No. And I was waiting for this. I, I was waiting because he hadn't attacked. He hadn't come for them yet. And I was just waiting for this to happen. And then he like, literally the minute I thought it, he did it. He says, the one thing that is important to say is that the 21st was not an attack. It wasn't planned. It wasn't plotted that the DA, he turns the DA and says, this was not an intentional act. And he is getting salty now. Like the anger, like the face he made at the judge that day where he just stared at her mm. and she called a recess because she was literally terrified that he was staring at her like that. The DA table is staring him down with their arms crossed. <laughs> and this isn't their first rodeo. Yeah. They're like, you're the ninth guy this month to do this. He says that his anger is towards Susan Opper. But listen, even though she came at me yesterday, I'm going to be the bigger person and I'm not going to fire back. <laughs> but then he proceeds to say, am I angry? Hell yeah, I'm angry staring her down. This to me is an example just of the intimidation tactics that mm-hmm. he tries to use. He did it with his domestic violence cases against his you know, ex-girlfriends, jurors. Um, I, I don't know jurors, but uh, people who testified I was also at this point kind of wondering what kind of security the DA has. He says that he's not mad at the other two attorneys, that he's just mad at um, Opper. He made a comment that Opper had said uh, at a press conference, this was an open and closed case and the jury needed two hours. He said, well, then why do you need a whole team if it was open and closed to cover their ass so they don't get a mistrial? And also this case was, they had to button up every little thing, especially after finding out that he was going to represent himself in a press conference. Someone asked if that changed their plan. They said some things, no, but it did force them to change their strategy a little bit for a couple of reasons. First to tighten up because of the appeal or mistrial efforts he was going to try to make. We all knew Two, sensitivity to who you're putting on the stand because he now gets to cross examine these people and that, that has to be traumatic. Uh, he says again that that he respects her, but not how she does her job. <laughs> it it's this whole thing that just he goes so around a bunch of backhanded like yeah. compliments too. Nice. This is the time to be apologizing to the victims, and he's making it all about him. And now attorney Opper, we're almost done. He then goes into <laughs> saying how people who have sent him hate mail it doesn't impact him. His exact words were "keep up the bad work." <laughs> It's like he has to maintain this celebrity status. Mm. He gets all this hate mail. And then he thanks the people. They all just hate us. And then he thanks the people that send positive mail. Because he knows it's hard to support someone who's the most hated person in America. Who sent him one positive thing? At this point, I I almost checked out. This is like some sort of reverse engineered Oscar acceptance speech. Like, I don't know what's happening anymore. It's also so disrespectful. Remember, the victims are sitting in their families in this courtroom for two hours having to listen to this man's bullshit. He then goes on to tell his 
he first says, I want to tell my um, child's mom. And then he goes, oh, sorry, all my, all their moms <laughs> that he will always have love for them. He isn't proud of the things that he's done, but it also takes two. <laughs> so now you're saying <laughs> you're blaming. I, I know I, oh, he says a little schmuck. He's the, one of the biggest narcissists I've seen in my entire life. He says that he's been praying for all the victims in their text. healing journey, but this is a process and won't happen overnight. So now he's Dr. Phil. Mm-hmm. Now we've moved on. Now we're a therapist. Then he says that he understands the mental health issues. A lot of victims of his crime are going through a lot of the victim impact statements had said that they are suffering from depression. So now you're trying to, you caused the depression. Yeah. These people are the anxiety, the panic attacks. Now, you know how I feel. He can't literally get out of his own way. He then says that he has now moved past the tragedy from the 21st, but he will keep uplifting, uplifting, excuse me, the community in prayer. He says that he can't fix it. don't want your prayers. So he's been going on for two hours now. The judge finally asked him, like, hint, hint, shut the fuck up. (laughs) She's like snoring. What do you want me to do? This is all great. I need you to tell me, though, what is your suggested sentence? That's the whole point of this. He says, I think I should be free. And here is where it is so clear what his motive has been. Here's when he starts to lay even more grounds for the appeal. He says there are issues with him attempting to answer that question because he is still confused by the nature of the charges. He feels the decision was already made of his guilt before he made it into the courtroom, that he needs help, that he was asking for help and didn't get it. He also reminds everyone that he's a born again Christian. Oh, that's that's nice. This is why people don't represent themselves for these reasons. He goes on about how the judge has done such a wonderful job. She's very keen and attentive. The same judge that he was questioning weeks ago. I respect you, just not your job. Oh, wait, never mind. I'm sorry. That was a Asking to see proof of her law degree, you know, telling her that she's disgusting, that she doesn't understand the courtroom. (laughs) The judge cuts him off and says, I'm not looking for accolades from you. I just want you to tell me what your suggested sentence is. He says to take, <laughs> this is, I don't remember who sent me a message after. I think it was maybe Erica that sent me this message. He says that he feels that the time served should be taken into account. <laughs> so he served. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I was taking a drink so as he said that. He has served a year and he feels like that basically knocks out count 76 because that was a year sentence. He says, again, he's confused about the charges he finally goes on saying that he wants to feel like he isn't lesser than others because he has to be medicated. He wants to be able to control his emotions. He wants to be, I want to be a real boy. Yeah, that's what he's pretty much saying. I mean, Jesus saying. Christ, it's been two hours. The judge finally says, I'm going to ask you one more time. <laughs> what do you want? And she asks him, she breaks it down. Do you feel that you should spend life behind bars without extended supervision? Like life in, in prison, no parole. He again doesn't answer the question directly. He says he feels like he should be able to go somewhere where he can get help and be properly evaluated and medicated that he wants to know it is okay to be him and that he has experts helping him. No, it's not okay to be you because you're a horrible, horrible, horrible person. It's like he wants to be the poster child. He says, I want to show people you can beat mental illness. What do you want to be on the cover of mental health? You are not the poster child for mental health. Okay. Judge sentencing time. Now it's Judge Duro's time to talk. Did she go two hours? 
No. 10 minutes? She starts, she lays out and says, there's four steps to this. Step one, I'm going to go through the um, mental health plea. She said she wasn't going to start there, quite frankly, but since that was such a common thread woven through all of his uh, speeches today, his political run, that she is going to start with that. Then she talks about the strength of the case, things that impacted her, the victims and their statements, and then the sentencing. So there are three factors that need to be taken into account when looking at an individual and their sentencing. One is the seriousness of the offense. Two, the need to protect the public. And three, the character or rehabilitative needs or opportunity of the defendant. We could just stop right there. It's like a whammy, like on all of them. She starts by addressing the mental health argument and says she has read through four reports of experts who are well known in the field of forensic psychology and psychiatry, especially with an expertise in cases claiming mental disease or defect. All four of them said he's fine. Now, does he have a personality disorder? Absolutely he does. But he does not have a mental health issue that would drive this behavior. They said a few examples is that, um, and also a point she made, which I looked back on this and it's true, is up until right before the trial when he had submitted the insanity plea and then pulled it, no one had brought this up. His lawyers hadn't brought it up. And it really didn't resurface again until the trial started. And he started to, I think, feel like he was losing, that it started to come back up. Well, so he should, should have felt like he was losing right away. They said some of the um, behaviors they saw in him, well, cannabis abuse, <laughs> drinking problem, antipersonality disorder, which we'll get to some of those characteristics in a second, history of disregarding human life, rationalizing bad behavior, criminal non-responsibility, history of violence. They go into like the efforts he took to evade detection. They, there's a whole laundry list of things that basically, and maybe he does. So to be clear, maybe there are some characteristics of a mental illness, but they're saying that that is not what caused him to behave in this way. This I thought was extremely interesting is he claimed he blacked out and doesn't remember the actions after the parade. But when you watch the interrogation videos immediately after when they talked to him at the hospital, like was very coherent and the behavior he took immediately after altering his appearance, he threw off his hoodie, put his hair up, got out of his shoes, trying to get the Uber to leave the scene. All of those things show that he understood what had happened mm -hmm. was not okay. Oh yeah. Regarding the antisocial personality disorder, you have to just meet three criteria and he met like every single one of them. Lack of conforming to social norms, deceitfulness, impulsivity or failure to plan ahead, irritability and aggressiveness, reckless disregard for safety of themselves or others, lack of responsibility, lack of remorse. <laughs> Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Fucking knocked it out of the park there. I do appreciate that she did say, though, and I agree with this, there is definitely a crisis of the mentally ill intersecting with the courts. She has, in 11 years on the bench, gone through many cases, and she said this, it is heartbreaking to see those who really do suffer from mental defect or disease. She gave an example of a gentleman who had schizophrenia and just watching him in the courtroom, he would be hallucinating. It's like, it's very obvious when mm -hmm. someone is, is going through that and it's, it's heartbreaking. She's like, people do kill 
their loved ones when they suffer from a mental illness and they don't realize what they've done. You, Daryl Brooks, did not present any of that. This, I thought, was when it really turned. She says she has come face to face with evil during her 11 years. There is no medication or treatment that is heart um, that is. Oh, there is no medication or treatment for a heart that is bent on evil. Child trial, uh, child trauma, blech, bipolar, any of those things did not cause Daryl Brooks to do what he did. It is clear he understands right from wrong. He is fueled by anger and rage, and she does not know why, but he has chosen a path of evil. Well, it's cut and dry right there. You can easily see it in him. She then did say, and I mentioned this earlier, her heart breaks for his family. Their hopes and dreams for him are gone. And she said this, and I, I referenced this earlier, perhaps it's just easier for her mom and her family to think he has a mental illness than to come to grips with him just being an evil prick. Yeah, I could, I could easily see that. The judge then starts to replay through her thought process of the day. The one thing she really hits on is the events of the day in the map that was presented. It's exhibit number 15 for anybody who watched the trial, <laughs> but it's literally a map of the entire parade route highlights every victim where somebody was hit or killed um, or injured. And she just goes through the day and basically outlines. And I strongly suggest anybody who's watched this case, watch the judge's sentencing remarks. It is, she is so articulate, very well done, very well thought out. I'm not going to, I don't know. We'd be here for hours if I went through all of it, but just to hit on a few things that she said is that there were signs in place. There were barricades. It was evident that this was blocked off for a parade. There's a couple of things she cited about his behavior earlier in the, the day, just hours before, right when he had, um, you know, beat up his girlfriend, uh, followed her in his car around the city. Clearly, he doesn't care. This is when he interrupts her and uh, starts yelling at her, saying, that's not true, because apparently on the 20th, the day before, there had been an interaction between Erica Patterson and him. The charges were dismissed. The judge had said when Erica spoke, she talked about what happened on the 20th and the 21st. And then that's when he loses it and says, you know, the charges were dropped on the 20th. The judge is like, Mr. Brooks, I'm going to get removed if you don't be quiet. You know, you know. And then he starts trashing Erica Patterson, saying horrible things about her as a mom. I'm not going to repeat them. It's disgusting. She says, I'm going to remove you if you don't stop. And he does his thing. Well, then remove me. And all right, bye, Felicia. He out. So they close the courtroom. He gets removed. The judge goes through her thought process. Uh, again, I'm not going to go through all of it. The one thing I am just going to say, there's two things, actually. The first, I didn't realize this till she broke this down this way. He drove three blocks before hitting anybody that he had multiple opportunities to stop, to turn around. He could have um, asked the police to move the barricade so he could have gone down a side street. He had ample time to reflect on what he was doing. He continued to then go forward and for the next five blocks just massacred people. There were two speed calculations showing he was going 32 and 35. We know the brakes worked because he break, he used them to go around the corner. And then the last thing she did is basically put him on blast saying that him trying to say that he doesn't understand this, that, whatever he's made many sophisticated legal arguments. 
asks questions on cross, understands what he did. It's very evident. And then finally, she points out that his end game from the beginning was not only an appeal, potentially she doesn't say that. I think that she says that after she went through and watched the trial footage and read all of her notes from the very beginning, his angle was going to try to be jury nullification. Yeah. Which again, for those of you that haven't listened to the episode, jury nullification is when the jury can come back. Now you aren't legally allowed to share this with a jury, especially the defense attorney, but the jury does have the ability to come back and essentially negate the charge or the, um, the penalty. So they can say, yeah, we thought he did it, but we don't think this is a fair punishment. We don't think he deserves this. So we're just not going to give him any time because they hold the power, right? Mm. He's all about who holds the power. Judge Duro continued to go on a beautifully crafted um, storyline about what had happened, um, gracefully adding in comments that victims had made during their victim impact speeches. The one thing I also didn't really realize till watching her speak is just the trauma that this puts on people who had to watch all this footage. Yeah. You have the judge who had to watch these tape and the jury people in the courtroom watching these tapes of their loved ones. One individual there it was someone's mother. He hit, she was on the hood of the car. He slammed on the brakes to get her off the car and then ran back over her to go forward. People had to watch this footage, watch Jackson Sparks, an eight-year-old child, because this thing couldn't just plead guilty and it had to go to trial. So people had to be re-traumatized or traumatized for the first time all over again. Yeah, she said that she was going to have nightmares. At one point, he did ask to come back into the courtroom while she was speaking. He held up his stupid legal pad trying to get attention like a child that's being ignored. So she did allow him to come back in. That lasted about 0.2 seconds when he started to run his mouth and continued to be defiant. Clearly, this is a stall tactic, which he doesn't realize that game over, buddy. Judge Duro imposed life sentences without the possibility or eligibility for extended supervision consecutive to one another for Virginia Sorensen, Leanna Owen, Tamara Durand, Jane Coolidge, Wilhelm Hospital, and Jackson Sparks. The people in the courtroom clapped as justice was finally served. On count seven through 67, there are 61 counts of first-degree recklessly endangering safety. Those charges alone and these convictions without the enhancer carried a max of 12 and a half years because of the enhancer, a total of 17 and a half. She essentially threw the book at him, and he currently is looking at 762 years in prison. Rot in jail, Daryl Brooks. I think it's important that we end this talking about the victims and the beautiful things that their loved ones have said about them. Jane Coolidge. She was a beautiful person, not only to us, but to everyone she met, said John Coolidge. I never heard a bad word about her. Everyone who met her always loved her. Her whole world was her family, and she was good at it, really good at it. She was the rock that held us together the stable force. I want the world to know what was taken. She was a beautiful person, her husband said. Tamara Durand. She was super energetic. She was the type of person who, when she walks into the room, everybody notices her smile, Durand's husband Dave told the Daily Beast in a phone interview. 
She literally danced her way through life. She was the youngest one in the dancing grannies. Dancing was her favorite thing. It was her first time with them ever, which is what's so tragic. Leanna Owen. Those who knew Leanna said she did not have a mean bone in her body. She was the nicest lady. She will be sorely missed. William Hospel, also referred to as Uncle Bill. Sonia Hospel Leonard wrote on Facebook, I'm heartbroken to share my Uncle Bill was one of the victims of the parade massacre in Waukesha, Wisconsin. My Aunt Lola was one of the dancing grannies. She was injured as well, but will be physically okay. He was a dedicated husband who was there to support his wife. Jackson Sparks. He was an amazing little kid and we're going to have miss him a lot, said Aaron Sparks, Jackson's dad. He loved life, Aaron said. He loved playing sports. He loved catching frogs. He loved being outside. He was a little ball of energy. Virginia Jenny Sorensen. Jenny loved to dance and was an instructor and choreographer for the Dancing Grannies. In fact, she loved to dance so much that she had been with the group for 19 years and had no intentions of stopping. A former registered nurse, she still worked part-time in medical records, using the money to pay for horses and treat her grandchildren. One of her granddaughters actually spoke at the trial and gave the most beautiful victim impact speech, saying how much they would miss their Grammy and how much fun they would have going over to her house and doing foot races and different things with her. It was extremely touching. Here's the reality, and Judge Duro hit on this during the sentencing. The actions of Daryl Brooks have taken away so many memories that could have been made by all of these individuals and their loved ones. Weddings, birthdays, graduations, prom, being able to call your mom to get advice, spending time at your grandma's house, spending time with your grandpa. What he has taken away from them cannot be replaced, but having watched and listened to all of these victims speak, I have never seen a stronger group of individuals come together as a community. So that is the Daryl Brooks case. I have a feeling this is not the end of our time with Daryl Brooks. I kind of hope. I, well, I think prison justice may. I, 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 I don't know. So. People in his situation don't do well. When no, you are they do a sex not. offender, a child killer, a woman killer. I mean, just a murderer. Like, that's yep. not even all human life is important, right? I'm, I'm just saying that. He doesn't have a lot of things stacked in his favor. No, he does not. Thank you all for joining. This was a long one. I had a feeling it was going to be. <laughs> this is this is what? one that's been very close. We've been watching this journey. You had to be thorough. Had to be thorough. I did get on a bit of a. That's okay, honey. But a little tangent, but it feels good to get it out. <laughs> um, Fuck that guy. As there's always, a, there's a shot. <laughs> yeah. Please remember, if you you can, it really means a lot to us just to go ahead and, and subscribe or leave a comment or a review. We want to keep doing this, but we want to make sure that that you all are enjoying it and that this is a good experience for you too. Not a good, great experience. Eh, good is good. With that, please treat yourself and each other with love, kindness, and respect. Unlike? He's, he doesn't even matter anymore. Okay. Let's let's make a deal. At this point, he's done. Okay. From now on, I agree. it's about because it's not the Waukesha parade that was bad. It was the attack of Daryl Brooks. Mm-hmm. I'm K Mac. And I'm, of course, the answer. Good, Good night. night.